Riley Jackson was just three and a half months old when she died from botulism. Her mom donated her kidneys and heart so that Riley could help another baby live. The family of the heart recipient did a really amazing thing, and they sent us a picture of the little boy that has her heart along with a recording of an echocardiogram. And I think it's just amazing that they even thought to send that. And it's something really hard to explain emotionally to see your daughter's heart beating four years after she passed away. Autumn Tolley Jackson is a mother, a donor family member, an author, an organ transplant advocate, and a dedicated listener to this podcast. I'm Marianne Shuck, your host for Let's Talk Hope, a podcast devoted to sharing stories and turning tragedies into triumphs. Autumn wrote to me and said she had a story of her own to share, so I'm delighted to have her here today as a guest. Autumn, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your donation story? I live in rural Eastern Oregon. Up until 2018, I hadn't really thought about organ donation more than just registering to be an organ donor when I got my license at 16. So pretty minimal thoughts into it. And unfortunately, what happened was in 2018, my husband, Kyle, and I had a beautiful little girl. And for about three months, everything was perfect. And what really happened was a bit of a mystery at the time. Everybody thought she had a cold. She was a little dehydrated. We went into the hospital just to get some help. And while in the hospital, she ended up coding And after 40 minutes, they were able to get her heart going again and get her on a ventilator. But she never, sorry. And we were life flighted to a much bigger hospital. And she got stabilized and things were looking better. And she didn't have a whole lot of swelling on her brain. But she was, after a few days, declared brain dead. She was about three and a half months at that point. Kyle and I, we never really talked about it with each other. We both just kind of looked at each other and said, I don't want other people to have to go through this. Let's ask about organ donation. Okay. So we weren't approached by any of the doctors. Um, We actually approached them and they got their organ procurement organization to come and talk to us. And Riley just barely met the size requirements. And so we were able to spend three days in the hospital with her while they found recipients for her heart, her liver, and her kidneys. But it was a bit of a different situation because nobody knew what had happened. We didn't know what had caused it. We didn't know what was wrong with her. There was concern about different viruses that could cause issues with any recipients. Okay. And you mentioned that donation almost didn't occur because of intervention with the coroner's office. What what happened with that? Yeah, so that's tied into the fact that we didn't know what happened. We all had colds. We assumed she had a cold and just wasn't eating very well. Actually, right before she had coded, the doctors were going to do a test for meningitis. So they were going to do a spinal tap thinking maybe she had meningitis. Before they even started that test is when she coded. So they didn't test for her at that point. And later in the other hospital, they ran that test and it was negative. And they ran a bunch of other tests and everything came back negative. And so we had no idea what had happened. And the coroner had his investigator come and the investigator talked to us and they didn't have any issues. And of course, all the organ procurement organizations knew that we didn't know what the cause was. And they had 
felt comfortable just based on the symptoms taking that little bit of a risk. But the coroner, after he looked at all the findings, came back and said he wasn't going to release her for donation. And it was really strange because we were so heartbroken at just losing our daughter to start with. We didn't think we could get any worse. But that moment when we were told that she wouldn't be able to donate took that little bit of something. <laughs> we we knew something good would was coming out of it as much as it was horrible for us. We knew she was going to be able to give some miracles. And when that chance and that opportunity got taken away from us, it was so much worse than it had been before. And how did you all overcome that? We were really blessed because when we were in the pediatric intensive care unit, the doctor assigned to her and the head doctor of that unit was an amazing man to work with. And of course, once the organ procurement organization took over, he wasn't her doctor anymore, but we were still in his ward. And he was one of the people that came and told us the coroner refused to release her body. And he did not understand it. I mean, he was a doctor, so he understood the concern, but he didn't understand the specific reasonings. So he actually took the time out of his day. And I think he spent two or three hours even talking to the coroner, talking to different medical doctors, talking to the caring physicians for the potential recipients. And what they eventually found was there was a specific disease that the coroner was really concerned about. That causes a lot of issues. A lot of the symptoms are similar to polio. It's a pretty rare disease, but he was concerned about that. And what the doctor eventually learned was it was a test and it was a really simple test. In fact, it had to do with the spinal tap, which we'd already done for the meningitis test. And they just had to retest the remaining sample that they had. And they found that it was negative. And, and it was it was such a I mean, it wasn't a simple process to go through, but it was a simple solution. And it was really interesting because rather than the coroner figuring out how to address his concerns while still releasing the body for donation, his overall thought was just, no, nope, we're not going to do it. It's too risky. Nope. And the whole time, of course, we're dealing with our own loss, but we're also thinking about somewhere out there, there's some other families who have pretty much been told that we might have a match for you. And I think that one of the, the the healing things through donation is that while you, I'm a donor family as well, and while you suffer your loss, just the greatness of being able to think about someone else and some other families that you and your husband decided early on that we want to think about somebody else. We want to share her gifts with someone else. That's just truly remarkable. And so we thank you for that. But I do have a question for you as you finish telling us about what transpired with Riley's donation. I want to know how you found Gift of Hope. Let's talk hope. I was really surprised that organ donation helped us so much through our loss. And we hadn't realized it, like I said, until it was almost taken away. But when we did realize it, I realized that that was something I wanted to continue to be involved in, continue to talk about, continue to share our story While there's quite a few organ procurement organizations and there's a lot of nonprofits, I live in a really rural area, so it's really hard for me to be involved, which led to me really trying to find podcasts or trying to find different virtual things that I could participate in a little bit better. And so that's how I found you guys. You're one of the few podcasts that talked about organ donation, and I like hearing other people's stories on both ends of it. 
And so I was really happy when your guys' name popped up in one of my internet searches and I was able to start listening. Great. We'd like to hear that. And so can you tell us, did you eventually find out the cause for Riley Marie's illness? Yes, we did. So the coroner was good to his word. He had said, if she's negative for this disease, I'll sign off on donation. And he did that. We went home. And about two weeks later, we got a phone call from a doctor at the hospital. And he explained that she had actually had a positive test result for infant botulism. I don't know for those of you who have kids or your listeners that have kids, the doctors nowadays and since the 80s always tell you not to feed your kids honey if they're under Mm -hmm. two, especially if they're under one. The reason for that, which they do not explain very well, is honey carries botulism toxin. Botulism is a really interesting thing. So there's a bacteria that produces spores And then there's spores that produce a toxin. Affects your muscles, really. It makes it so they don't constrict very well. Typically with infant botulism, there's a lot of issues with breathing. Lungs don't work as good. Blood oxygen saturation levels drop. There's usually signs. With Riley, we just did not have the stereotypical signs. There's about 200 cases in the U.S. a year. However, there have only been four documented deaths, with Riley being the fourth death in the last 20 years in the U.S. And so it's usually a pretty long road for infants that get botulism. They're in the ICU for a month or more. Sometimes there's long-term issues, but typically they're able to identify it and treat it prior to it causing damage that they can't come back from. And for whatever reason, Riley was more susceptible to it, and she did not display traditional symptoms And by the time we found it, which, like I said, was two weeks after she passed away, it was too late. And the good news for all the recipients was that it didn't have any negative impact or any associated risk to those recipients. And do you know your recipients? Have you had an opportunity to meet them? From the very beginning, we've been writing, of course, anonymously through the procurement organization. We wanted to let them know how much donating had helped us. We did get one response back from her kidney recipient. And so we were able to communicate a little bit through letter, but we never met in person. And then last year, while we didn't receive a letter or anything, the family of the heart recipient did a really amazing thing. And they sent us a picture of the little boy that has her heart along with a recording of an echocardiogram. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. So even though I would love to know more about their story and how everybody is doing and talk to them, but I totally respect their privacy. And I think it's just amazing that they even thought to send that. And it's something really hard to explain emotionally to see your daughter's heart beating four years after she passed away. Yes. And it was very important to you to just have Riley pass away and not continue her legacy. You went on to write a book. I did. I have written my memoir and it's called Boldly Into the Darkness, Living with Loss, Growing with Grief, and Holding on to Happiness. And while Riley was really my only experience with organ donation, unfortunately, I suffered some miscarriages early on in my life. My first husband, Joe, passed away while jogging at the age of 30. I'm so sorry. Um, Yeah, it's 
there was a pretty impressive five years of loss for me. So miscarriages, loss of my husband while I had a three-year-old and a newborn. And then I had the loss of a cousin that was more like a sister and a grandfather. Mm-hmm. And then I was remarried and we had Riley and lost her as well. There's been a lot of grief in a short time. And I was struggling with it, especially again, being in a rural area that didn't have a lot of resources. After Riley, I started talking to more people about my story and they started saying, hey, you should share this. Your story can help other people. And so I decided to sit down and write about it and write about how hard it is and also how you can choose to continue living your life to the best and embracing the people you've lost while embracing the life you have left to live. That is so awesome. And I am going to take you up on your offer because you said you would either send me a paperback or an ebook, but I would prefer to have the paperback and have it signed. Great. Um, but, you know, you're absolutely correct. Loss is a funny and fickle thing. It comes to all of us at some point in time, but the way in which it comes to us is different for every single people and how they experience it. And so how did you and your your second husband experience Riley Marie's loss and how did you put that into advocacy? I think the experience for us was quite a bit different from a lot of other people because I had already at that point experienced so much loss in the last few years that I had already gone to the point where I'd talked to counselors, I talked to life coaches, I'd done a lot of reading and research about grief because I needed to figure out how to deal with it for myself and my family. And my husband, Kyle, was somebody who I had been acquainted to prior to my first husband passing away. But afterwards, we became pretty close because he became kind of my grief person. He had lost his dad a few years earlier, and he was around the same age. And he told me that it was okay to have all these feelings. It was okay to be mad at somebody who was just trying to help. And it was okay to just randomly start crying in the middle of the day. And so he was somebody who really understood that loss. And so when we were dealing with Riley, we knew how we each grieved, which is a really beneficial thing. And it seems a little bit silly to say it, but once you know how you grieve, when you know it's coming, because in the hospital, we were still very much in shock. So we weren't quite into that deep, acute grief, but we were able to talk about it and say, okay, this is what I do when I'm grieving. Sometimes I pull away. I might need a little more extra space. I have a tendency to blame myself for it. And then he kind of went through his list of what he does with grief. And we talked about how we were going to do it together. And we made packs, like no crying in the shower, no going somewhere and hiding from the other person when you're sad. If you're sad, we talk about it and we share that grief together. And so that was really a huge part of it because in a way we were able to plan. I mean, you can't plan grief, but we were able to make sure we each had the things that would support us the best through our grief available at the very beginning. You know, that's really good because as you've heard and you've listened to our podcast, we talk a lot about organ, eye, and tissue donation. Um, We talk, uh, you know, mostly to adults or we talk to recipients, but we are exploring pediatric organ, eye, and tissue donation. We're exploring recipients as well. So thank you for being our first guest to talk about pediatric loss and and how to not get over it, but how to move forward in a mindful and intentional way. What are some things that you could tell other parents who are experiencing this 
and may or may not have the opportunity to have their young one be an organ, eye, or tissue donor? How would you advise them how to work through their grief? I think the biggest thing I have learned that has been the most helpful, well, I guess there's two, because as a parent, you feel that your only real responsibility is to keep your kids safe. And when something happens to your child, no matter whether it was an accident or not, you feel like a complete failure and you just do. And it's you're going to feel that way. And it's hard. The thing is, you have to figure out a way to get yourself out of that mindset, because no matter what had happened, no matter if it was a complete rare situation like it was with Riley or if it was an accident, you loved your kid as much as possible. And you had tried to do everything you could to protect them. And sometimes things just happen. And so it's really hard not to fall in this trap where all you can feel is grief and guilt. And I think recognizing that you're feeling that guilt, but that you did the best you could, that you loved them the best you could, that you never wanted anything like this to happen. That's what really matters. Changing your thinking from, I should have stopped it. I should have seen something coming. I should have done something differently to... I can't believe they're gone, but I know I loved them and I know they felt loved and I did the best I could was really helpful to me. I'm so glad. And you, and you talked about your first husband. Um, I had a similar experience with my husband. We were actually out riding our bikes, having a great day, laughing, talking. And he just actually sort of fell off his bike and had a heart attack. And I've had friends who experience long-term illnesses versus the immediacy of somebody being gone and still having to deal with that, still having it to be a blur, but then having the fortitude to be able to walk you know, alongside your grief and to work through it. I commend you and your husband for that. And I'm definitely am sorry for all of your losses. Question for you, how did the book help you work through your grief? Was it cathartic for you? Or was this a lesson of love? Or was this really a letter to other people? I did find it really cathartic. And it was interesting because with Riley, when we first decided we wanted to donate her organs, it was because we didn't want other people to hurt like we were hurting. We didn't expect it to help us. And then all of a sudden it did. And the book was kind of similar in that. And then that I wrote it because I wanted to help other people. And I thought sharing my story might help other people because I knew I liked to read other people's stories. But what I found when I was writing it, that reliving some of those events, even though they were very hard, but looking back and looking back on how I reacted and what I did and what I understood at that time compared to what I understood when I was writing the book was really, really cathartic for me and also really let me see a lot more about the things that I did that helped me, the things that I did that maybe didn't help me. I actually felt that when I was writing the book, it helped me grow a lot. And I hadn't been expecting that. It kind of took me by surprise. Yeah. And when you wrote to me, you mentioned that it was important for you to share your story. It was important to be able to have a platform for you to share your story. Can you tell us why it's so important out of the myriad of stories that are out there that I could possibly have on the podcast? Why was this so important to you? So it's important to me because I think when a lot of people think of organ donation, they think of people that are young adults, old adults. They think of people that are adults. I think realizing that an infant that's three and a half months old can still save three lives 
is something that a lot of people don't know about. I think organ donation itself isn't talked about as much as it should be. I wish now, and we've had the conversation in our household, but I wish all households would know exactly what the wishes of their family members are. Because I think one of the things that prevents a lot of organ donation from occurring is people don't know if their family members would want to be donors. And so they choose not to sign off, which is fine because everybody needs to do what they need to to get through those hard moments. But I think having those conversations and sharing stories like Riley's and educating people on the fact that organ donation isn't just for adults. There's a lot of kids out there that also need donations and that can be donors is a really important aspect that's under communicated. No, I I totally agree. And that's why we do the podcast, because we think it's so important to just share stories, but just to give different perspectives of what it's like. And a lot of people recognize that organ, eye, and tissue donation is a great thing. They think it's an altruistic thing to do. However, they don't really pull the trigger to register. And so we utilize the podcast to just share these stories and share these messages. And what would you say would be the lasting legacy and how do you honor Riley's gifts? I think we try to honor her gifts really like I said, sharing, sharing her story and not just sharing that as an infant, she was able to donate, but sharing Kyle and my story and the story of our two sons that our ability to donate Riley's organs and her ability to give those miracles was a really big part of working through our grief and learning to carry it in a way instead of getting smothered by it. It was something that really helped us as a donor family. And that's, I think, a huge part of Riley's legacy is giving that gift to us, even though we didn't know it it was possible. And for us to be able to share that to other people who may be looking at it as helping other people. And if we can have them look at it a little bit different way and grab onto the fact that it can help them as well, then I think that's a pretty big legacy to leave. And what are your final thoughts that you would like to leave with our listening audience? And I hope uh, you will tell everybody that one about Let's Talk Hope, but everybody, even in rural Oregon, about the podcast that you were on. Uh, What are some final thoughts that you have that you'd like to leave for the listening audience? I think the thoughts that I have that I like to share is organ donation is an amazing experience, no matter what side you're on. And I've never known anybody on the receiving side personally, though I have read a lot of stories. But I do know on the donor side, it's an amazing experience that can really help with a lot of your grief and a lot of your feelings. And I encourage people that are hesitant about becoming donors or families that may unfortunately find themselves in a situation where they have a loved one that has the potential to be a donor, that they think about it and really look into their hearts and consider it as a possible option instead of just writing it off. I'm hoping that through the podcast and through people listening that we can maybe get some more people signed up for Oregon donation. Also think people need to talk about their grief. So like you mentioned, I have my book. I also have a website called growingwithgrief.com, where all I do is I list resources for people who are grieving. So I think if you're grieving, there's nothing wrong with grieving. Grief doesn't go away. You have to learn how to carry it. And I hope I can help some other people on that journey. I will definitely look up your website and I just want to 
again, thank you for being a listener and for having the courage to write in and want to be on the show. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me. I really enjoyed it. Thanks for listening to Let's Talk Hope. We encourage you to start the conversation about organ and tissue donation with your loved ones today and make your wishes known. You can register to become a donor at giftofhope.org. Hello, Tina Montgomery, Supervisor Community Outreach. In my role, I'm responsible for raising awareness and educating the community about organ, eye, and tissue donation. Daily, I'm asked a lot of questions about the donation process and how does it work? So we've added some questions to our wheel and we're going to give it a spin and then answer those questions for the audience. All right, so let's spin the wheel. And the wheel is going round and round and round and round. And it has landed on question number seven. The question number seven is, who can be a donor? I get this all the time and I say, never count yourself out. Virtually anyone, regardless of their age, race, or gender, can become an organ and tissue donor. Donors are usually healthy people who have suffered a life-ending trauma and are declared legally dead. Medical eligibility depends on many factors and it's determined after the donor's death. So please, never count yourself out. You never know what you could be saving or enhancing someone's life. Well, I want to thank you all for that question. We'll have more questions on our big wheel starting in our next episode, so stay tuned or come back to hear more donation facts. If you like what you've heard today, we hope that you will listen again wherever you subscribe to podcasts. Let's Talk Hope was produced by Rivet, and if you'd like to hear more great podcasts, please visit rivet360.com.